Let's go again to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to start reading at verse 2, and I'm going to read down to verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse, verses 2 through 7, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version on this morning. Amen. And it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He says, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. If you'll bear with me this morning, I just want to preach to you from the subject, the light of Christmas. The light of Christmas. Amen. Holy Spirit. This is your time. Make your word plain to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk about the light of Christmas this morning. Amen. You know, one of the greatest joys for me of the Christmas season is seeing all the lights, seeing all the Christmas lights. Like a couple weeks ago, Sister Felicia and I went and took a drive out to Hockley, Texas in the middle of nowhere, amen, to see uh, the, uh, they had a drive-through Christmas light display that we had heard about. And, and they had all these lights, I mean, hundreds of thousands of lights out there. Um, and they were all set to music and and the lights moved with the beat and some of the, the lights even looked like faces that were singing along with the songs and everything. And man, it was, it was really a great experience. Just brings joy to my heart. You know, we drive through our neighborhood and we see all of our neighbors have lights up and down the street and all throughout the neighborhood. And, and uh, my brothers recommended that we should all just get signs in our yard that says our Christmas light display and just have a finger that points to the neighbor. Amen. So we don't have to put up lights ourselves. We just point to their lights. Amen. Uh, but we put lights on houses, on trees and decoration in celebration of the season. And although the lights are meant to be festive, they are, very, they are actually meant to be very, very symbolic. The lights are symbolic of something much deeper than just a display. The Christmas lights celebrate the entrance of light into a very dark world. Amen. The entrance of light into a very dark world. Let's go back to our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. And this is how it starts off. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Amen. It says, those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Amen. The people walked in darkness. This walking isn't just a, a, a one foot in front of the other walking. This is no, they live a lifestyle of darkness. They're, they're confined to a lifestyle, a manner of life that is dark. Uh, they also dwelt in the land 
of the shadow of death. This darkness refers to sin in our lives. It refers, um, watch this, not only just willful sin, but also original sin, the sin that every man is born into when they enter into this world in its current state. We know that Adam and Eve transgressed God's command and they allowed sin to enter into a perfect world. Then the darkness that descended after that, that, that transgression was not only, watch this, external, but it was actually internal. We died spiritually. They died spiritually, and that spiritual death was passed on to all men, all mankind. We were consumed with it. And, and not only did it consume mankind, but it consumed them to the point where darkness was their only um, their only option or their only desire. Genesis chapter 6 goes on to tell us that the thought of man's heart, the Bible says every thought of man's heart was only evil continually because of the darkness that had entered into the world until the point God lamented that he had made mankind and was determined to start over with Noah and his family. But the Lord, in his mercy, he promised, amen, we don't have to endure another flood, amen. We never have to endure that again. He said he'd never wipe out mankind again, even though he knew that every one of the inclinations of our heart would be evil. It would return back to darkness. And when we're talking about darkness, we're talking literally misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, because without a deliverer, that's what resides in the heart of mankind. Amen. The world was filled with evil and suffering. At the time of Jesus' birth, there was, there was violence, there was injustice, there was abuse of power, homelessness, uh, refugees fleeing from oppression. There were families ripped apart, sickness and endless grief. It sounds a lot like today, amen. It sounds a lot like today. Why? Because we still reside under the shadow of death. We still live in a very dark world, but also mankind is in the dark, not only because of what's going on out here, it's, it, we're in the dark because of our ignorance. We don't have an ability to fix what's going on. No one has the answers. So we, we're in darkness because nobody knows how to fix the ills of our society. We all recognize the issues, but we don't know what to do. Amen. So we desperately search for answers. We desperately search for answers. And we can see this in Isaiah chapter 8, right before this, this wonderful prophetic proclamation. We see the results of what happens when man determines to go on a desperate search for relief from the darkness, for answers in his own mind. At this point, Israel was under oppression from Assyria, and they needed deliverance. Amen. But in their desperation for answers, they turned, watch this, to darkness to try to fix their darkness. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, and look at what it says. And this is out of the New Living Translation. It says, someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings, and they will tell us what to do. This is where they were going. They become so desperate. This is what they, they resorted to. And But then the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, but shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? 
He said, look, verse 20, he says, look to God's instructions and teaching. Don't look to dead things. No, look to God's instructions and his teachings. He says, people who contradict his word are completely in the dark. And this is what was going on. They were completely in the dark. Verse 21 says, they will go from one place to another weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, then they will rage and curse their king and their God. But they, And then they will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. When man turns to the darkness to try to fix the darkness, they won't find answers there. They'll only find more darkness. Amen? And this is what happens. We see this in Romans chapter 1 verse 21. It says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, were darkened, excuse me, in refusing to look to God for the solutions of our to our darkness. We force ourselves to figure it out ourselves is what happens. We look to the earth. We try to look to human resources to try to fix the world. And, and we I think we can all agree we're in a very dark place in our world right now. We look to presidents and world leaders to try to fix it. We look to masks and distancing and a vaccine to be the savior of the pandemic. We look to technology. We look to our economy. We look to our intellect and our innovation to try to solve the darkness that's going on. And ultimately, we end up looking to ourselves to fix it for ourselves. Amen. And even at Christmas, we have to be careful because what we can begin to do is get caught up in the good feelings of the season. The good feelings that are meant to point us toward God, we begin to have, watch this, goodwill to men, right? And so we say, okay, well, if we just have good feelings one toward another, if we just bring together and come together in unity and harmony with one another, we can fix what's going on. We can defeat the darkness of this world if we just work together, if we just decide to be unified, to work peaceably with one another, we can come together and fix the, the issues. We can overcome poverty on our own. We can overcome injustice if we just come together. We can overcome violence and evil if we just come together. We can win the soul of our nation. But here's the problem. Again, we don't have it in ourselves to fix ourselves. I'm going to say it one more time. We don't have it in ourselves to fix ourselves. Somewhere along the way we have we have mistaken the message of the angels when they came and they said in Luke chapter 2 verse 14 look at this they said glory to God in the highest and on earth watch this peace goodwill toward men Right? They weren't telling us that goodwill or good feelings towards each other or a, a cheery disposition with one another will solve the darkness. No, it was exactly the opposite. They said goodwill toward men. That means God's goodness is coming to you in place of the wrath that you deserve. Not from within you. No, it's coming to you. Are you seeing this? It says they were saying that there has been a divine shift in heaven towards you, that God's favor is now shining towards you. Not that we have it in and of ourselves. No, it's coming from somewhere else to a theater near you. Glory to God. He says God has accomplished something for you that's going to turn his favor towards you. He said peace on earth. Not watch this again. Not just peace between people. No, the peace 
peace of God has been replaced. Excuse me. God has replaced wrath. Amen. With his peace. He has turned his peace towards you that the wrath that we so rightfully deserve has now been replaced with peace because of what was to come. Oh, glory to God. Amen. The message of Christmas is not that we can fix it. It's exactly the opposite, that we can't fix it. It's far beyond us. The darkness is ingrained in us, and the more we look to ourselves, the further in darkness we descend. Amen. So we return to the prophetic declaration of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that the people who walked in darkness, watch, have seen a great light. Amen. They've seen the light of Christmas. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, that's all of us, upon them a light has shined. Amen. Again, they have seen it. It's not internal. It's not from us, but it is for us. Amen. It's not within us. It's become to us. Amen. Upon them a light will shine. Not from within them a light shines. No, upon them a light will shine. Amen. Just as the sun is external to the earth, but brings warmth, brings light, brings life, a great light will shine upon us from another place. Amen. So the message of Christianity and therefore the message of Christmas is that things are bad. Things are dark. Things are jacked up, but there is hope. Amen. There is a solution that the Lord initiated before the foundation of the world. Amen. Isaiah, again, chapter 9, verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined, and that light is Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory to God. It's going to be so wonderful. Go to verse 3. It's going to be so wonderful that there will be joy in the world. Amen. It says, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. Because of the giving of the Son of God, it increases joy. Look at what it says. It says they rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest. It says when the sun shows up, the same joy that we have that the, the farmers had, and everybody could identify with this at the time, that you've waited all season. You've waited all season to see what your harvest was going to be like that was going to set you up for the next year. And there was such joy when you got a good harvest, you felt like you could finally rest. The, the uncertainty was coming to an end because I was able to receive and see what it is that I have. Glory to God. And this is the same joy that we receive because the Son of God comes into the world. He said the same joy as men would rejoice when they divide the spoil, when they have been through war and seasons of war, and they have faced many battles, and they finally have received the victory, and they're able to now divide the spoils, that joy that they feel that we made it, that joy that they feel when they receive the spoils of war is the same joy that comes to the world because of the child that will be born. Glory to God. Verse 4 says that there will be freedom, not only joy, but there's going to be a freedom that comes. Hallelujah. When this light shows up, verse four says, you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder says the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. You remember uh, Gideon when he was threshing in, in judges, I believe it was around chapter six. Gideon was in a wine press of uh, uh, threshing wheat in a wine press because of the Midianites who would come down and ascend on them and take their stuff. 
right? That's what they would do. And they were under oppression so much they couldn't openly harvest their grain. They had to go into hiding because they were afraid of the enemy. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to get caught after dark. I don't want to be out trying to do something for myself because then the enemy will come and take over. He says, but you're going to, he's going to break that yoke. Says for you have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder. He said, he's going to put the enemy down. You're going to be free. You're going to be able to be free to live your life the way you want to live your life, the way you were intended to live your life. You're going to experience a great freedom when the light comes. Amen. But not only that, he says there will be victory. There will be victory. Look at verse five. Now this, you have to kind of look at this and understand what it's saying in verse five. It says for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. What is he saying here? He's saying that the garments that you needed to fight your battles, you wouldn't need them anymore because you were going to experience victory. You could take your battle shoes and throw them in the fire. You could take all your garments, your uniforms, and you could throw them in the fire. He says you're finally going to win this fight against the darkness when the light comes. And again, we understand there's two types of darkness. There's an external darkness, but there's also the internal darkness. And that's the one he was coming to get rid of. Glory to God. The internal darkness would finally be defeated. Your heart will be free to serve the Lord in righteousness and true holiness. You're going to win. Glory to God. This battle because the battle is not yours, but it belongs to the Lord. He says you won't even need to fight in this battle. The Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to perform this for you. Hallelujah. He says, how, Lord, how are you going to accomplish this? How are you going to get this thing done? I want to see the victory. I want the freedom. I want to experience the joy. God, how is this going to happen? Go to verse uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He tells us how this is going to come to pass. He says, for unto us a child is born. Hallelujah. And unto us a son is given. He says the true light is coming into the world. We can see this in John chapter 8. Jesus gives us an insight to who he is. He said Jesus spoke to them in John chapter 8 verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He said a child would be born. The true light is coming into the world. Amen. And this is the thing. The child was born. He was born into darkness. Hallelujah. He was born into our human experience, into a real family, 42 generations from Adam. This child was born, watch, to shine God's light upon the hearts of men. Listen to what I say. The child was born to shine God's light upon the hearts of men. But not only was a child born, but it says a son was given. He was given. He was the Lamb of God, the slain before the foundation of the world, who was given as a sin offering to atone for the darkness of all mankind. And that the son was the son was given, watch this, to shine the light, God's light, within the hearts of of men. Let me break it down again. It says a child was born to shine God's light upon the hearts of men, but a son was given as our atonement. A son was given as our sacrifice to allow God's light to shine with 
in us. No, it's not naturally within us, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because he became the child that was born and the son that was given, he was then allowed to give us eternal life that we can have his light shining from within us. Amen. Hallelujah. And he didn't come to play politics. He didn't come to appease men. No, the Bible says that the government in verse six, it says the government will be upon his shoulder. Amen. He didn't come to play politics. He didn't come to be born as a president. No, he was born as a king. He came to rule and his kingdom. Hallelujah. Overrules every other kingdom. As we see in Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven, it says this, it says, on the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with, just, with judgment, excuse me, and justice from that time forward, even forever. Amen. He says his kingdom is going to come and there won't be any end to his kingdom. Amen. His kingdom will be established and it will overrule every other kingdom. Amen. It says in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says it this way. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, talking about Jesus, and one day he will deliver the kingdom unto God the Father when he puts the end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Amen. He came to rule. He came to bring freedom. He came to bring life. And he is the light of men. Amen. He is the Christmas light. Glory to God. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 it says unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be on upon his shoulder and he shall be called wonderful. Glory to God. This is why we acknowledge him as the light because he's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father and prince of peace. Amen. When the Bible calls Jesus wonderful, it says that he's marvelous. It's saying that he's miraculous. It's saying that he's extraordinary. Amen. Think about the, the miraculous things that went on with Jesus having to be born into the earth. A virgin will give birth. Amen. Never been done, never been heard of. The stars and the planets will align and come together to tell people about his birth and will guide people to him. That's miraculous. Amen. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. Glory to God. It's wonderful. He will perform miracles. He will save us from sins. He will be our deliverer. He will be our healer. Amen. Because the child was born and a son was given, not only would he be called wonderful, but he's also counselor. Glory to God. He's counselor. And this is one of the things that gives me the most comfort in this season. Amen. Because he is our counselor. Amen. You know, it's hard for somebody to counsel someone or to give advice to someone when they've never walked in your shoes. It's hard to receive someone's advice 
when they've never walked a day in your shoes, when they really don't, you feel like they really don't have an understanding of what I'm going through or what I've been through. It's hard to, to really take their advice. They have no idea what I'm feeling, what I've experienced. And, and, and sometimes it's difficult. And parents, sometimes we need to share the things that we've been through with our kids. We need to share our experiences so they know that we can identify with them. Amen. But we have, hallelujah, the Bible says we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He would be our counselor because he would endure all the things that we've endured. He would go through the same things and he can identify with those. Let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 2. It says it better than I could ever say it. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power, who had the power, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That's all we had to look forward to. Look at this, verse 16. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham's. That's us. Therefore, it was necessary. Hallelujah. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a, a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Amen. The child that was born would be our great high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The child that was born would be the one who had been tempted so he can be compassionate towards those who are being tempted. The son that was given was the one who knows what it's like to experience hurt and rejection, to suffer for sins. He knows what it's like to experience injustice, being wrongly convicted, convicted and executed for a crime that he didn't commit. He experienced racism. He was a Jewish man living under Roman oppression. He experienced it. He knows what it's like to experience death, not only experiencing it for himself, but experiencing and being touched by the death of others. The Bible says that when Lazarus died, he wept. It touched him. So he knows what that is. So he's the one that's able to comfort. He's the one that's able to advise us. He's the one that's able to lead us. He's the one that's able to help us. Glory to God. He can counsel us and comfort us through this life and bring light into our darkest times. Hallelujah. But not only is he wonderful, not only is he the counselor, but he is the mighty God. Oh, hallelujah. You know, Christmas really isn't good news unless he's the mighty God. I'm going to say it again. Christmas really isn't good news unless He's the mighty God. That's what makes it good. If Jesus isn't God, we're just looking to another man that's just as dark as us that we're, to try to fix our darkness. We're just looking. If, if Jesus isn't God, then we're still in our sins because he's the only one. Because it can only be the blood of the sinless lamb that could obliterate our sins. If Jesus isn't God and he wasn't resurrected, the Bible says that we have no hope in this world and we are men most miserable. Hallelujah. But the Bible tells us in John chapter one, verse one, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God 
And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. Skip down to verse 14. It says, and the word, the same word that was with God, the same word that was God, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the mighty God. Amen. He told the the the, the Pharisees in John. John chapter 8, verse 58, he says, most assuredly, he said, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He said, I am. Amen. He identifies himself as God. In John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus is the mighty God. Glory to God. And why is that important? Why is it such a big deal? As I said, there's no Christmas, or excuse me, Christmas is not good news unless he's the mighty God. Well, look at John chapter 8, verse 23. Why is this so important? He said to them, he was again debating with the Pharisees. He says, you are from beneath, but I am from above. You are from this world. I am not of this world. But look at verse 24. Therefore, that's why I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Amen. He said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Amen. We have to believe that Jesus Christ is the mighty God, that he is the son of the living God, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And by faith in him, we can have eternal life. Amen. If he just came and died as a man, we're stuck. If he just came and died and he was a man and nothing else, we are men most miserable. But he is God. Glory to God. He is the mighty God. Not only that, the Bible calls him the everlasting father. And this ties in with him being the mighty God. And what I just said, amen. He is the creator. Amen. All things were made by him and not anything that was made was made without him. Glory to God. So he is the creator. But watch this. He's also, when we talk about the everlasting father, he is the originator of eternal life. Hallelujah. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that came to bring the light of God into the lives of men that the child, this same child, would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we will be healed. Amen. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's the author of eternal life. But not only that, he's also the prince of peace. Amen. That means he is the ruler and provider of peace. Now, when you talk about peace, peace isn't just the absence of chaos. Amen. This peace he's talking about, he comes to bring us completeness, to bring us soundness, to bring us welfare. Amen. To bring us safety. Amen. To bring us health and prosperity. It's all contained within peace. Amen. To have peace with God and peace with one another. Amen. Hallelujah. So he is, Jesus is the light of Christmas. Amen. So when we see the lights that are shining, amen, and I'm, I'm closing. When we see the lights that are shining this season, let it remind us that he is the light of Christmas. He's the reason for the season. Amen. This Christmas, let us, as we see the presence, amen, let us, let it remind us that Jesus is the gift of God. Amen. That he is God's presence to us that allows us to go into the presence of God. Jesus is God's presence. 
to us that allows us to go into the presence of God. Amen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Amen. As we see the Christmas trees. Amen. Let it remind us that Jesus is the one who became a curse for us because the Bible tells us that curse is every man that hangs upon a tree. As we see the ornaments that are hung on the tree, let it remind us that our sins were placed upon Jesus just as we place those ornaments upon a tree. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says it this way, says all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, he did what has laid on him just as the hanging of an ornament. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He set it upon him as we see our Christmas tree and we see the garland, whether we have it around our tree, whether we have it on our staircase, we see the garland there. Let it remind us that Jesus was the one who was tied and led away as a silent lamb is led away to the slaughter and was born again. Excuse me. And he opened not his mouth. He was the, I mean, let me say it again. The garland, let it remind us that Jesus was tied and led away as a silent lamb is led away to a slaughter and he opened not his mouth. Amen. As we sing our Christmas carols, let it remind us of the angels singing with tidings of great joy to all people. Amen. To shepherds and outcasts that Jesus was born to save us from our sins. Again, Jesus is the light of Christmas. As we see the lights, let it remind us that Jesus is the light from heaven who enters into our darkness. Not just the darkness of the world. No, he enters into our personal darkness. He rescues us from death. Amen. He rescues us from hell and the grave. Jesus entered into the darkness of this world to bring us light. The child was born so that light could shine upon us. But the sun was given so his light could shine within us. Amen. He comes into our darkness, our personal darkness. He enters into the hearts of men and personally brings us into his marvelous light. So as we celebrate him, let's, let's look, focus on what the season's really all about. And let's share this word. Let's share that it's about Jesus. As people say happy holidays, I want no problem with you saying happy holidays. I'm going to reply with Merry Christmas, amen, because I'm thinking about what the season is. Christ, mass, Christ coming into the world, amen. I, I want to celebrate him and I want you to know him. I want you to know him, amen. I want you to know him in a more intimate way, even as we're here celebrating, but as we're going into 2021, we want to know him in a more intimate way. And what a great way to celebrate. What a great way to start on that by acknowledging him in every aspect of our season, seeing Jesus as the Christmas, the light of Christmas, excuse me. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Today, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ.